Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you here. Look, this is not just a good news segment. This is an important segment. John Harrison, president and owner of Harrison Capital Management, is joining us here today. Because, look, in 15 years since I've been doing the Dr. Pat Show, 10 years in launching my own network, here is the one thing that comes up over and over and over again. It doesn't matter how many ways I get at it, try to talk about it, is we are just not wanting to have the money conversation. And I'll tell you, it's never been more important than it is today. That's why I've got you on here. Because are you, okay, I'm not going to call you out, but are you one of the 75% of Americans who refuse to seek out financial advice? Now, I know why, but we're not going to get into that today. Today, we're going to tell you why. It is important to do it. I'm going to take it from the psychological perspective. John's going to take it from the practical. Your life is not over. You can still be financially robust. John, great to have you. Thanks, Dr. Pat. I appreciate it. Uh, let's get at this because um, in 15 years, if there was a topic I've done more shows about, it, it's about money. It's about finances. And I want to just ask you for what is it from your perspective? What are you seeing when it comes to people wanting to understand about saving money or even approaching it? From my perspective, Dr. Pat, it's that people just don't know who to go to or where to look. It's almost like future shock. There's way too much information out there. They get all kinds of things from Facebook posts, from the internet, from TV, and they just don't know who to go and find to help them navigate the tough financial C's out there. I want to ask you this question. I know we're doing this live. I know you're right in the middle of a number of different things, but I want to ask you this. There was a survey that was done, and I'd like to get into the weeds a little bit about the survey. If you could share a little bit of information about what you have found, because I think this is important about, you know, who is interested in looking at their finances. And, and I think the other question, John, is that, you know, do we have an older generation of people that were seriously burned, you know, from 2006 to eight to 10, whatever that was? Well, I would say, Dr. Pat, that, you know, the markets go up and down. And what I always tell my clients is, you know, go back to the day you were born. Like I was born January 3rd in 1966. Take a look at where the S&P was on that date. And I think when I was born, it was around 100. And then think about all those things in the last 53 years in my particular case that have happened. Rapid inflation, gas crisis, numerous wars, Vietnam, um, political instability at various points. And then take a look at where's the S&P 500 today. And just, it's amazing if you would just 
make sure that your money is invested according to your goals and objectives, where you'll end up. I mean, the S&P is at right around 3,000 right now. So you take a look at all those different things that have happened. And what I'd like to tell clients is loss is temporary, gain is permanent. And that's why you need an advisor to help you navigate because, you know, people get emotional about things. And as you know, being a psychologist, the fear of losing is a lot more painful than winning. Yeah. And, you know, here's something that I want to share with you, and this is going to kick off the conversation. There's also a middle ground that I learned. You know, my mom used to say to us kids, like, girls, look, here's the thing. No matter what you do, you got to ask yourself the question, are you playing to win or are you playing not to lose? And that's a different energy. You know, one compromises possibilities. I want to talk with you about what we can share with our listeners to help them not compromise their future. You know, what are some of the tips we could share with people, you know, so that it's not so daunting, so that at least maybe they'll get on the books and schedule an appointment? You know what I would say? I would say talk to your friends and family, people that you really respect, that you're close to, and find out who they're working with. You know, we all have people in our lives that were mentors, that we looked up to, and they typically are successful individuals. And you can go to them and say, Dr. Pat, you're a successful person. How do you go about investing? Do you have somebody you work with? And you would say yes or no, depending on, you know, who you're working with. And that would help them to kind of set up that, take that feeling of anxiety away because people like to do business with people they like and they trust. And that's why they go to their friends and their families, people that they respect to get that person that is trustworthy that they can go to to help them navigate those issues. You know, having a relationship with a financial advisor, and I mean a trusting relationship, a respectful relationship, I think it's one of the most important decisions that we make to seek people out that we know are going to have our backs, right? Um, we yeah, know that folks are hesitant to do this. What did, what did you find? What, what are we hesitant? Are we hesitant about full disclosure or are we just hesitant that there's not going to be a solution for us? Well, you know, in my practice, we have two core tenets. One is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You have to develop that relationship. And that doesn't mean you meet with Dr. Pat once and then don't talk to her for a year. A good advisor will have a very robust service model that will help grow that relationship. Because at the end of the day, this is a relationship and relationships take time. I mean, most I've been an advisor now for 20 years and my clients are like family. Um, my daughter just graduated from high school and we had her graduation party and a lot of my clients were there because we have this relationship because they know, they've known Jordan since she was a baby. Um, and I think when you come at it from how you can help them as an advisor, that relationship grows and it takes the anxiety away from them because what we are really is their financial quarterback. We help coordinate and oversee their financial affairs. And it, they may come in with a question on college planning, but as time goes on, there's all these different issues, but you have to develop the relationship. And to me, that's the most important thing because I could be the smartest guy in the world, but if you and I don't have a good chemistry, there's no way I can help you. 
Yeah. One of the things you all are doing is you're taking a conversation to the street. And I want to make sure we give out a website because, you know, what, what's going on is, you know, you're hosting a Connect 19 conference, right? And, you know, we're talking about thousands of financial advisors, you know, coming together so that we could look at and you could look at rather some of the most common issues to help people, you know, to plan for their future. Um, I want to make sure that before we uh, run out of time, how can people find out more? Let's say somebody hears this and they're like, okay, I get it. Where do I go? How do I find out more? They can go to my website, which is harrisoncapitalmanagement.com, or they could go to the satera.com website, and we'll be glad to help them. And I just want to spell that. That's satera. C is in Charlie. E. T is in Tom. E-R-A.com. Okay, a few minutes left. When we're talking about finances, we're talking about not just the future, but we really may be talking, John, about people sharing what they've experienced. What have you learned about what is important to disclose to your financial advisor? Because I know some folks will go to financial advisor, they'll never talk about credit card debt, or maybe, you know, for example, in my case, I was very, very sick. And I found that that was important to share with the financial advisor for reasons that I didn't even understand. Talk about that part of the relationship. Well, I think that that is key to everything. You've got to be open and honest with your advisor. Let them know all the different things that are going on in your life because life events happen and life events are what drives a lot of people's financial success, sometimes their anxiety, like you were saying, you got sick. Well, if you have a good advisor, they can help you navigate through that and say, you know what, Dr. Pat, it's going to be okay. We've structured your plan based on your goals and objectives. We have this contingency for an emergency. And the only way you can do that, though, is if you have a good relationship. And that's all predicated on chemistry. You and I have got to have a good chemistry so that you feel comfortable to open up to me and let me know what's going on. People do business with people they like and they trust. And the only way that they can like and trust you is for you to know them and you to get to know them and them to get to know you, excuse me. Yeah, I, I wanna thank you for taking this out. I don't think there's ever been a more important time for people to engage in their future. And one of the things I think you know and I know is that people don't really take or seek out this kind of advice because they think at some level, I'm never gonna be able to save enough. I'm never gonna be, I'm never, it's that never word. And I wanna thank you for doing this. One last question. Um, one, please mention the website again, but more importantly, you know, John, what, what is your personal message? What do you wanna leave people with today? I wanna to leave people with the confidence that they can do it. And it's like anything else, if you wanna become a good doctor, you go to med school, go find the professional that can work with you and help you reach your goals and your objectives. And you know, people think that you have to have a lot of money. That's not the case. I have a client who was a teacher who never made more than $55,000 a year. And she was diligent about saving. She was diligent about how she spent her money. And now, you know, she's worth over $3 million. So it can be done. You don't have to make a ton of money. It's just you have to have a plan and you have to have somebody that's your coach. And the only way that that happens 
like you and I have talked about, is you've got to have a good relationship. Yeah. John Harrison, everybody, president and owner of Harrison Capital Management. As we said before, please go to the websites. Let's get some information. Uh, Thank you, John, for doing what you're doing. Hey, everybody, welcome to our good news segment. Listen, 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 get your chill on. What does it look like to add a chill treat to beat the heat this summer? So this show with the most amazing C.C. Carmichael, chef, lifestyle expert, sharing tips about let it get it on. The chill has arrived. (laughs) C.C., great to have you. (laughs) So great to be here. Keeping a chill. Keeping it chill, right? I was going to go with the chill is gone, but no, I didn't want to do that. Um, That's good. Um, People are like, I need to be, I need to feel cool. I need to chill. So you're approaching it in what I call some of the greatest traditions that you can start with the chill on the inside. And that's what we put in our bodies. So tell us a little bit about why this is important and what what you've created for folks today. Well, I think that, you know, I I have a couple tips, just a, a basic summer entertaining, and that is, you know, I've learned this from many years of trial and error, is, is keeping it as simple as possible. Um, you want to keep movement to a minimum when it's, you know, 95 degrees and, and 110 heat index. Um, so keeping it simple and getting as much done ahead of time as possible, because I think that to people tend to wait till the last minute. They're running around prepping and 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 their guests come and go, and, and they wake up the next morning, and they go, what just happened? <laughs> I had a party, I but I didn't talk to anybody, and I, I was sweating the whole time. So I'm not a big list maker, but I do make lists, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm throwing a party and, and figuring out what can be made, you know, five days ahead of time, prepped three days the day before, and save out a couple things for the day of so that you – um, you know, let people see your your culinary prowess. You know, but just very much <laughs> keeping it simple. Um, and serving yeah. foods. You know, I, I'm loath to turn on my oven, my stove during the summertime. Um, it just is too. It's too stifling. Um, so I try to think of things that don't require cooking. Beautiful. And, and you're. You know, we're blessed by. You know, farmers markets and the, the summer, like right now, is the time when everything is is in season. So your corn, I have a, I have a, a, a simple salad that I make with corn, tomatoes, and basil. That's it. So and I serve it cold, and it's like that is that's a fabulous thing. Think of things that don't that are you know have a wow factor. A beautiful fruit salad. Um, even when I'm grilling, I keep the meats cut thin. So that when I'm grilling the day of, um, they can be, you know, on the grill and off in five minutes. So it's it's basically little things, little little um, corner cutters, I guess you call them, to to sort of keeping your prep ta- time down, um, so that you're actually staying cool and enjoying your friends and family. And people really appreciate it. I mean, there's nothing I think more refreshing, right, than going to an outdoor event and, you know, having the host bring something that's chilled or something that is just perfect for the moment that they're in, right? Yeah, and um, I think, of, you know, a- asking friends to help, asking friends to bring their favorite uh, dish, there's not, people yeah. love doing that. People love showing off their favorite thing and, and you know, and the, and the pride of, of, you know, putting that on your buffet and, and, and saying, I made that. Um, and letting people help on the day of, you know, I think, you know, oh, the, the chip bowl is empty. People love helping. People love 
to have something to do. So, you know, we need more ice. We need more chips. Can you help out? And people I, people love that. It gets people sort of, you know, moving around, too. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I live right now, growing up on the East Coast, but right now I live in the potluck, uh, potluck center of the universe. <laughs> I got to tell you, whatever you want to say about Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, I got to tell you this best kept secret. Potlucks rock. Uh, These folks here have got it on. Yeah. Well, so like you, you, like you say, like yeah. I'll make the main dish, and you guys, the potluck is everybody bring in side dishes. I think that that's kind of a yeah. worry. I do do that. Yeah, I got to tell you what goes on here is you even can get away without making the main dish. That's how potluck friendly are. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, okay. You have a lot of beautiful sides. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and then, uh, and then dessert. You know, you're talking about you know chilling from the inside out. Like I, uh, um, I love to bake, but I love to bake in the middle of the winter. I love the Christmas time and you know the mm-hmm. warmth of the stove. But that warmth of the stove is your enemy in the summertime. So I, do, I, stay, I stay very clear of it. And I discovered most amazing dessert. It's Betty Crocker Chilled Treats, and they are absolutely brilliant. They're individual servings. that You can make them in five minutes. You basically mix it, chill it, top it, and serve it in five minutes, and you have this decadent, cool mousse that um, people just die for, and it comes in these flavors like uh, key lime and French vanilla and chocolate mousse and lemon mousse, um, and the beauty of it is there's no cleanup, ready in five minutes, and if you've got two people coming over or you have 20 people coming over, it's perfect because, you you know, you've got, you could have as many or as few as you want. And if you have 20 people come, coming over, I love the idea of having, you know, like a dessert bar with all those flavors on top so people can pick their favorite dessert, their favorite flavor, and go, oh, I like the chocolate. Oh, I'm going to try the key lime. I like key lime. You don't, because they're individually servings, you don't have to feel bad about, like, trying different flavors. So it's really kind of a perfect thing. Yeah, I went to the website. Let's make sure we give out the website. But when I went to the website, one of the things I noticed is that not only can you create this dessert, but you can put fruit on top. You can put mint on top. You can put, for especially the chocolate mousse, a little bit of whipped cream on top. So, I mean, it really looks like, whoa, this is really Super, right? So yeah. how, you let's make sure folks little, know how to find out. Twist. Yeah. I'm very much in yeah. favor of, you know, it used to be that, you know, I went to culinary school and everything, you know, I had to make my puff pastry from scratch and everything had to be from <laughs> scratch because I went to culinary school. And then over the years I had, you know, had a child and I'm like, I ain't got time for that. So I, oh. I you know, I, I do make, you know, things homemade and from scratch, but with things like this beautiful mousse, I don't want to make a mousse from scratch. I want to be able to make some a mousse in five minutes <laughs> and serve it yeah. and have it be delicious. And I know it's, it, it, it's these are amazing. You've got to try them. And the beauty is that they're you know you, they're it, you can find them in the um, in the uh, where you get your cake mixes and everything. So they're you can put them in your pantry and they're. Uh, you know, ready, ready to go. Whenever you, you know, someone surprises you, ding dong, I'm here. And it's like, oh, yeah. So you can, you know, they're good for any time. It's really great. Yeah, yeah. And you know, let's make sure everybody out there, you can go to the website bettycrocker.com, and there is a product section, 
and then you'll be able to find the chill treats. And, you know, yeah. there are several things there for everybody to look at. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about, and this has really been a conundrum for people and certainly has been for me, um, the idea of fresh fruit and freezing fresh fruit. And I think that, you know, if you don't come from sort of a family or a way to do that, then you're not really in tune with how it works. But I can remember my grandmother freezing things, and then on the day of, things are ready. How does that fit into our our summer venue, so to speak? Um, it depends. It depends on the fruit. I mean, some some fruits hold up better than others in, in the freezer. But mm-hmm. I think that you know, if I were like. I would do that in the in the summertime, freeze it and and save it for the wintertime when when the you know the produce isn't quite so yeah. fresh. Um, yep. But uh, you know I'm a big fan. I have a, I have a great thing that I do with my when I um, know I'm having a party. Let's say I'm doing grilled chi- grilled chicken breast. I go to the mm-hmm. you know the big box store, buy it in bulk, cut the the breasts in half so that they cook fast. But then I put them in individual bag. I put them in a bag with the marinade. And my, one of my favorite marinades is a lemon zest, lemons uh, lemon juice, um, uh, fennel seed, um, garlic. Mm. Yeah, salt and pepper, um, a little bit of maybe oregano, fresh herb, and then I seal it up, put it in the freezer, and this is like a week ahead of time. So it marinates as it's freezing, and then two days before my party, I pull it out, put it in the refrigerator, and as it thaws, it's again marinating. And you have these—I mean, the flavor that is imbued and 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 oh, into the chicken is amazing. Yeah. And, and the idea yeah. of keeping your cuts of meat, whether it's a hanger steak, a flank steak, rather than using, unless you, I mean, obviously if you want a big, thick, you know, ribeye, go for it. But I tend to, um, and I love grilling, but I don't want to spend all my time waiting for meats to cook over the grill and trying to, you know, gauge the, the, the internal temperature. But if you cut your breasts in half, uh, you know, width-wise, so that they're it's called the pie yard. You can pound them down. I just I just cut them in half, um, and they take five minutes to cook, and you're done. And you have this beautiful. Then yeah. you can garnish it with some fresh herbs and some lemon slices, and you have a beautiful thing to serve. Very light. Again, keeping keeping yeah. your menu light for the summer. Yeah, and you, not only that, I love what you're talking about because have you ever been to like an outdoor event? like where somebody's like barbecuing and they go out and they get these giant rib steaks and within six minutes, the entire neighborhood is filled with smoke with somebody flying. It's just like, it's like the great American smoke out. (laughs) It's true. And and it's with those bigger cuts of meat, you have to, you have to babysit them a little bit because you have to make sure that you're not going to overcook them um, with, with a, with a hanger, with a skirt steak, with a, you know, a, a flank steak, um, there, it's much easier to just, you know, you know that, that you know, five minutes on for, the, for an inch of steak, five minutes on one side, five mm-hmm. minutes on the other, and you don't have to use a meat thermometer to figure out what your doneness is. Um, I, so, and, and again, it's super quick. Flip, flip, and you're done. Yeah. All right. It, for, this good. is really like the burning question. Okay. I don't know if, uh, many people out there know what it's like to be a host of a summer event. 
So uh, instead of the great American cookout, what it becomes as a host, if you don't get these tips that TC is going to really share with us today, it becomes the great American meltdown because <laughs> hosting an event, right? You know what I'm talking about, too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah you mean, don't sleep the night before, the whole thing. But that's why, you know, the, you know, when I was discussing sort of, uh, having a game plan, I think that that and I'm I'm a very much uh, spontaneous seat of your pants kind of chef, both a chef and a hostess. But I learned over the years that to have a game plan of preparation, because I think what 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 trips people up and scares people the most, uh, especially if they're not you know uh, not used to cooking for a crowd, is timing and and how to get you know you know all their dishes on and so by by picking things you know things that can be served chilled things that can be cooked quickly on the day of um uh and and getting again as much done ahead of time as possible mm -hmm. and and Keeping it, when I say simple, I'm like narrow, narrow it down that people don't need a yeah. hundred things to choose from. And I love your, your, your potluck, your potluck, yeah. uh, Seattle being the potluck uh, <laughs> capital of the world. Yeah, it's a, I love, it is. I love the idea of enlisting people and enlisting people on the day mm -hmm. of to help you. Um, people yeah. love to feel needed and people love to show off their dishes. So if you are in a complete with it and a flop sweat about this party, just call your friends up and they'll go, absolutely, I'll bring my, my favorite, you know, deviled eggs, I'll bring this, I'll, you know, and, and let them supplement what you're, what you're, what you're making. So it doesn't, uh, so it doesn't have to be, you know, I, I, I encourage people to do that as opposed to, you know, a lot of people just sort of go, oh, no, it's just too much trouble, or I can't ask people to cook for my party. People love to do that. People love to show off yeah. their favorite dish. I mean, don't you find yeah, that? Let me give you, yeah, let me give you a tip around this because, you know, I'm telling you, this is, this is the potluck center of the universe. Here's <laughs> what we do. This is how fun it gets to be, especially if you're like hosting something every year, like you're in charge of a thing, right? It doesn't matter what time of year. I know we're talking about the summer, but here's what folks do. They make it fun. You know, I go to an event where we give out little fun prizes for the potluck, first prize, second prize, third prize. People vote I on it. I mean, it's that. like a thing. It is that so fun. Is such it's a like great a idea. I'm, I'm telling steal you. That. And, uh, you should steal it because here's the fun thing. Every year, especially if you do it, or there's a host that is known for it, what happens is the level of food gets so elevated, and yet it's a random vote for it, and the prizes could range from anywhere from, like, tickets to the movies to a bottle of wine or whatever that is. It depends on the time of year, right? Um, I love that year, idea. It's fa fabulous. Steal it. Here, here's what I, one, the best prize ever given was the winning recipe. The, the, the prize was the winning recipe. Cause most of the time people cook stuff and they have like a family recipe that's like a hundred yeah. years old. That was the one where this person had to be sworn to secrecy, but she got the recipe. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, look, I know you've got to run. I want to thank you for your time, but can you give out so a website? Fun. How can people find out? What, oh, totally fun. That is a fabulous thing to do, especially if you're doing stuff like in the city, like in New York. 
It's a yeah, fabulous thing it, to do. And it gets people involved. And I think if people love a little, like, friendly competition, <gasps> if people oh. rise to the occasion, that is fantastic. Uh, but anyway, oh, go yeah. to BettyCrocker.com, and you can see, the, uh, uh, you know, uh, scroll down on Chill Treats, look up the Chill Treats on the site, and you'll see all those magnificent flavors and um you know, it'll take. You know, it'll check that dessert uh, box off on your on your party planning, so you don't have to give it another thought, and you can worry about other stuff, but not dessert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. CC Carmichael, everybody, and you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. Summer fun rules. Thank you, CC. Thank it you so much indeed. for joining us. So appreciate <laughs> All right, everybody. Let's take a short Alrighty. break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to this fabulous new segment. You know, many of you have heard me talk about the loss of a very dear friend of mine um, about a year ago. Somebody that when you think about her, you don't think that anything could strike her down. But here's what I want to say. For many of you, you may or may not be aware that we have an alert today. And the alert today has to do with what it is we know or don't know about exposure in the sun. And so what it is that's so important to be mindful of today, as you hear from Dr. Adil Dowd, as well as a fabulous, fabulous woman who has come to the forefront, Colleen, to talk about her experience, is that we are talking about summer skin cancer alert, but we're also talking about treatment for advanced melanoma patients. And what does this mean as we share information from a landmark study, a study that probably will shoot the roof off of what you think you know about this disease? Dr. Dow, thank you for joining us here. Colleen, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think that when I talk to people about the sun and the skin and skin cancer, I think unlike pretty much any other form of cancer, it's hard to get a conversation that isn't overshadowed with some information or lack of information or denial or any number of these things. And we did lose a very dear friend of ours about a year ago, and it didn't make any sense to us. So today's show is more than just important. It's sharing information, but it's also sharing research. And I want to ask, start with you, uh, doctor, and then you, Colleen. You know, melanoma, when you say it, people generally know it. But do we really understand the serious nature of it? Yeah, uh, I think that's a, that's a great question. What, uh, you know, melanoma seems similar in people's minds to other skin cancers like basal cell and squamous cell skin cancer. And a lot of people think... You know, I went to the dermatologist, I got checked out, they took a little spot away, and boom, that's it. Nothing to worry about. But as, as we all know, uh, melanoma has a propensity to spread. And it has, in the past, it's been very resistant to treatments like chemotherapy. And we really have had very limited success until recently with treating it. Uh, what we know now is that about half of all melanomas have this BRAF mutation, that can be targeted by these drugs. And so that's what the subject of that New England Journal study was. Yeah. Uh, Colleen, thank you for joining us here today. You know, I want to get 
this from your perspective, right, about your story and the message that is so needed for folks to really understand that something is going on and 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 there is a call to action for them to pay attention to it, isn't Absolutely. Um, if you see a mark or an unusual mole or spot, get in and see your doctor immediately. It's so important to advocate for yourself and get checked. Hmm. What, what was your journey like? Uh, well, about seven years ago, I noticed an unusual mole on the back of my calf. And I got in to see the dermatologist right away. Um, it was staged as 1B. A year later, I noticed a swollen lymph node, and it had gone into my lymph nodes and liver. At that point, it was staged as stage 4. I went ahead and um, did the testing for the BRAF mutation. I tested positive. And through channels, I was able to get to Dr. Dowd and UCSF. And um, a month prior, uh, the FDA had just approved uh, Mechanist and Tafenlar, and I went on that medication immediately. Two months later, my scan was clear. Um, that was amazing, uh, hopeful, reassuring. Um, it's not everybody's story. And as you can imagine, um, I'm just so thrilled uh, about this study in the New England mm-hmm. Journal of Medicine. Yeah, I am too. And uh, Dr. Dowd, let's get to the study because the study is one reason why we're here talking about this. Of course, the underlying reason for talking about it is we're talking about a serious and light-threatening type of cancer. Um, sure. And of course, we know that it's uh, you know treatable when it's caught early. But sure. as in my friend, if it metastasizes or spreads to other parts of the body, it is difficult. So this is a groundbreaking study, not, not just groundbreaking, you know, from when I look at it, because, you know, I too am a researcher, but my field is psychology. From a statistical and methodological point of view, it's groundbreaking. But more importantly, there are some results that I think you're pretty excited about, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, what we've known about uh, the BRAF mutant melanoma is that when you treat them with these drugs, the debrafenib and trametinib or mechanist and tafenlar, uh, about two-thirds of patients have a response. But what we know now, you know, it's important in, in oncology studies to see what the long-term durability of responses and what the survival of patients is when, with stage 4 disease when they're treated with these drugs. And so what we know now is that in several hundred patients on these, uh, in this pooled analysis, uh, patients were alive and disease-free or progression-free at five years. So about one in three patients was alive at five years, and one in five patients had no evidence of progression on their scans and was alive and well at uh, five years on, the, on this particular combination. So it kind of indicates to us that this isn't a treatment that uh, the tumor can easily develop resistance to or bypass. I mean, for people that are hearing this for the first time, let's talk about what that really means, because I don't know that folks have a frame of reference 
of what came before this study, right? So we hear something like this, and 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 the new the the let's just say the headlines really are, whoa, this didn't exist before, so to speak. You know, we right. didn't have this kind of treatment. We didn't have this kind of result. Isn't that really why we're bringing this to the forefront today? Yes, absolutely. When I first, uh, you know, started my melanoma career, I'd say this is about 20 years ago now. Ah. Uh, You know, it's a long time ago. But uh, back in those days, uh, chemo was how we treated melanoma. And back in those days, the survival for somebody with stage 4 melanoma was somewhere between six months and a year. So I think for for me personally, that's a huge uh, big difference. Uh, and uh, I just want to make sure that we, just for balance, we, we, we mentioned that these drugs, while they're not chemotherapy drugs, do have side effects, and some of the side effects are quite frequent, like fevers and chills and skin rashes, and some of the side effects are pretty serious, like vision problems, uh, heart problems, lung problems. And so they, while they're not chemotherapy drugs, they do have serious problems and need to be under careful monitoring and surveillance. Right. And so let's talk about that, Colleen, from your perspective, too. Thank you, doctor. Because, you know, when we say side effects, I think we're talking about, first of all, we're talking about a disease where the side effects really uh, aren't good, period, even if you don't get treatment. I mean, this is, we're talking about something very serious. So c- coming with that is an introduction of, of, uh, of, of this research. And of course, there are going to be side effects. The question really is, in the end, are the results something we could walk away from and say lives are being saved? Colleen, isn't that the case? Um, well, as you can see, five and a half years later, I'm sitting here with uh, Dr. Dowd and talking with you, and I'm so grateful for that. So, uh, Colleen, what do you want people to know who are diagnosed with this? What, you know, what, what would you say to those folks that get the, the message, look, you have advanced melanoma? Sure, sure. What I would say is be sure to get out there and get the testing for the, the BRAF mutation and see where that is um, so that you can and your doctor can um, sit together and figure out a good treatment. And also be an advocate for yourself. And if you can't do that, then select a family member or a friend that can do that for you. Um, My brother actually lives in Seattle, and he came down for six weeks to be my advocate when this all happened, and I am truly grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Also, um, you know, watch yourself uh, when you're in the sun. Get that sunscreen on. Get the hat on. um, Cover your skin. Don't go out in the sun from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, and just and just use common sense. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, one of the things I want to talk about, Dr. Dowd, is first of all, let's give everybody a, a website. And then sort of to bring this home, I'm really asking, what can we do? What steps should people be looking at taking to keep our skin safe? I mean, first of all, now we know 
that in parts of the country right now, they are experiencing record-breaking heat. And what does that mean? Record-breaking sun that hits the body. So what should people know and what should they do? I mean, I think what, uh, just to pick up on what Colleen was saying, uh, to be an advocate for yourself, I, I honestly believe that sometimes, you know, you might just think that the doctor will pick up some little change on your skin. But the reality is that sometimes people aren't looking carefully. And I, I think Colleen's have that experience. I've heard that so many times, too, that, you know, I thought somebody would look at it and I didn't mention it. But uh, if you feel like it's changed, I personally think you should just say, hey, can, can we just have this biopsy? And can we just, to me, it's like an extra 10 minutes or five or whatever, 15 minutes. There's, there's almost no risk to it. And just being sure, even if you get 20 extra biopsies, again, this is just my opinion, for one time that you might pick up some melanoma, I think it's worthwhile. And uh, in terms of the information, I think, you know, this, the, you know, I, I think that's true for cancer in general. But cancer.gov is a good website. Uh, Melanoma Research Alliance, Melanoma Research Foundation, Skin Cancer Society, ACS. Those are good, reliable websites. Uh, there is a lot of fake information on the web, and people mm-hmm. talk about, you know, cutting out sugar and stuff like that, alkaline diets. Not necessarily the most re- reputable stuff. And survival statistics also, you just have to be careful about what you believe, you know, because they're sometimes not up to date. I love it. Um, Look, I know we've got about one second left to do this. I'd like each of you to pick your top priority. If you were to give somebody a message and say, and end the sentence with this, when you go out in the sun, please do this. Dr. Dowd, what do you want to say? And then Colleen, you. Sun protection, uh, hats, sunglasses, sunscreen. Thank you. Colleen, how about you? (laughs) Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you both for, for doing what you're doing. It is super important. And I don't think we can talk about this enough. I really don't. So thank you both. Thank, thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, we're going to take a short break. We will be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome. So listen, you all have really heard me recently talk about my love, the sport of table tennis. But you know what? I'm not alone because here's what I know. For many of you have emailed me and said, I am so glad, Pat, you're taking time out of your day. Here's what I want to say to everybody. We now have new research that shows that certain types of play are linked to positive child development. This is so exciting. You know, I'm thrilled to have Dr. Michael Rich join us here today, Associate Professor of Pediatrics at Harvard Medical School, Associate Professor of Social and Behavioral Science at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and practices adolescent medicine at Boston's Children's Hospital. So look, if you're me, the question you're asked is, how do a kid like me grow up in the projects but still turn out kind of positive. And I bet you're going to hear a little bit of why today. Dr. Rich, it's great to have you here. Great to have you. Great to be here. Thank you. So I'm so glad we're talking about play, but I'm also I'm so glad we're talking about research around this. You know, I am a researcher at heart in so many ways. But when we start to look at pro-social behaviors, right, it's important for us to understand what is working for our kids and what's not. So how excited are you about this research? 
I'm very excited, uh, largely because um, in our quest to um, develop very smart, strong, capable kids, we have undervalued play in their lives. Um, We've been so busy overscheduling them with uh, instrument learning, uh, learning to play a musical instrument or or learning a sport or learning a language um, that they don't have the kind of free time to make choices that in fact, enrich their development in ways that learning a specific skill can't. Yeah. Now, now this this particular topic today, you know, and some of the research has been sponsored by Hasbro. And, you know, one of the things I love about this is we take a look at what certain types of play, you know, really directly move us towards positive development. But you've nailed it. Um, even as busy as I am, I had to carve out time for me to play. But I'm really struck by what I think about when I go back to my childhood. So let's talk about what comes to the top of the list as a result of this research. What did you all find? Well, I think in the in a broadest sense, what we found is that play of various types were, was much richer than we ever anticipated. For example, active play, running around, kicking a ball, throwing throwing a flying disc of some kind, or or um, playing tag or hide and seek. Um, while one would expect that active play builds stronger, more coordinated bodies, what was even more interesting in some ways was that we found that it built their social emotional development. It built their executive function development so that they were able to take turns better. They were able to negotiate what, what are we going to play today? What are we going to do today? What are the rules? Um, you know, you play sandlot baseball and you argue about whether somebody is, is safe or, or out. Um, all of this stuff is much richer than just the building of a, of a strong body. So I think that what we were finding with active play, uh, with board game and card game play, which builds their school readiness in a variety of ways, um, with, with play with letters and numbers, it was much more than just learning their letters and numbers. It was also about learning how the world works, how we communicate with each other, and how we get things done. You know, part of this is so, for me, exciting because I find myself as an adult now and along with my friends, we have gone back to board games. You know, we have gone back to playing games that maybe didn't come from our childhood, but let's just say a newer, more contemporary version of board games. And so we're finding, you know, our way back to these. Um, Here's the thing I want to ask you about. I want to talk about active play for a moment. Because I really went back and thought about my childhood growing up in the Bronx. And here's what I came to. Back in the day, okay, going to date myself, but back in the day, there wasn't much for us to do. So we played manhole to manhole, and we would use chalk, and we would draw these sophisticated pathways for us to roller skate. Then we would play stickball in the street. Then the game that I play now albeit as a kid, ping pong. So there was a lot of these opportunities. But I have to say, I wasn't seduced by today's contemporary video games. Is there a dynamic that goes on? And what role do parents have to play to get us back to active play? 
Well, well, think about the difference between what was going on when you were creating uh, skating paths in, in the streets or, or playing stickball. You were acting on the environment. You were acting on the world and cooperating with others and making things happen. When you play a video game, you are reacting to a pre-programmed set of stimuli. And you are not being creative in the sense of um, creating something new, imagining something new. You are simply reacting like Pavlov's dog to a set of pokes from whatever game it is. So beyond the issue of the content of that video game, which there are obviously concerns about if you're playing a first-person shooter um, or, or something a little bit more benign. Um, but what's really important about what you did is that you took what you described as not much to do and found an infinite amount of things to do with it. Yeah. And that was where you built your creativity. That's where you built your imagination. And that's where you built yourself as a member of society. Yeah. Uh, you know, let me ask you this, because I think this is more important to parents and kids alike than you can imagine. Okay, so yesterday, I went for my table tennis lesson. And I was I was at the place and there was this young boy, I, I would say he might have been 14 or so maybe 13. And he was new to the game. But boy, he was in there to play and everybody wanted to help him and he was getting lessons. And I said to him, how many times do you come a week? And really brand new. He says, I come every day because there's nothing for me to do at home. And I mm -hmm. thought, whoa, how cool is That's that? Awesome. Isn't that awesome? Exactly. Isn't that like awesome? It is awesome. And, and, and well, I was like, I mean, dude, where do you live? He says, I walk. It's like a couple miles away. And I just thought right. to myself, maybe we should put a ping pong table in everybody's house. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that one of the values of doing formal, rigorous research like this is it brings it into focus and into, into the view of folks who are so concerned with making their child as smart and strong and, and functional as possible in this world. I, I think that, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, play is just, you know, downtime. It's just, you know, mm -hmm. not, not that important. Um, and I think we have to get back to realizing that play is actually the work of childhood. Play is actually where we create analogs of the world um, as we understand it and the future world that we'd like to imagine. And so I think that we need to get back to really valuing this um, in, in ways that we haven't recently because we've been so focused on giving our children very uh, quantified skills like playing the cello. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and okay, look, I know we got a few minutes left, but I had to talk about this. What was it that sort of drove Hasbro to begin a project like this? And then for you, as somebody that's been in this field for a while, what was so exciting about it? What were, were there any ahas for even you as a result of this? Well, I think what, what for Hasbro, um, which is, uh, in our experience, an incredibly good collaborator in the sense that they said, look, we want to understand in a deep, fundamental way how play fits into a child's life, how 
play affects the trajectory of a child's development. Um, we're not interested in testing our products. We're not interested in developing mm. new products. What we're interested in is how the world of the child is influenced by the play choices that they make. And, and, and so they have been really positive, a very, very, very positive um, influence in the sense that they su support the research but don't get involved in it in any way. And that is very courageous for a company yeah. today. Yeah, um, and, 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 and so, um, I, and I th so they came to us and they said, look, we want you to bring the same kind of public health lens that you look at, say, nutrition or injury prevention and look at play and see what's positive, what's not so positive, and, and how can we employ play in a child's life with the same level of importance and focus as we employ education. Um, and for me, the, the, the discovery of this is really in many ways enriching the kind of um, common sense or conventional wisdom that you came to um, about your play as a childhood, but really being able to quantify it and reproduce it and understand that we can measure play um, and we can measure it beyond the obvious of active play makes a kid's body stronger to the deeper elements of the fact that it improves not just their physical health, but their mental health and their social health as well. Yeah, I, I think this is very exciting. First of all, thank you for doing this, because I think what you are on to is something that many of us reflect back on. But I want to say this, too. I mean, the area that also is related to this, and I don't think people know this, is the the development of our seniors in society right now. And what what I bet you would find, and I know this is not your area, but I bet what you would find are the same findings that you're finding for children, you will find for seniors. And I wish Hasbro would do it because we now know that if you take a sport like table tennis, and this is how powerful it is for the mind, they are now bringing it into Alzheimer's. There's a foundation that actually brings table tennis to people that have dementia. And the research on this and the study on this almost mimics what you're finding in this research for children. So I know you're onto something very, very powerful. First of all, I am so glad that they're looking at bringing the multidimensional aspects of who we are as humans back into the development of children. That to me is paramount. Absolutely. And I will say that one of the findings we, we found is that not only is child-directed play uh, very rich for the child, but that when an adult plays with the child, that is also yep. enriching for both the child and the adult. And there, there are programs, you know, like your table tennis program, but programs that bring seniors together with very young children. Yep. Um, to stimulate both so that the seniors can pass on a lifetime of acquired wisdom and experience, but the kids can inject a level of fun and, um, and serendipity mm -hmm. and curiosity to the, to, to the seniors. So I think yeah. all of this plays together in very, uh, if you'll pardon the pun, plays together in very <laughs> important ways. It does. Can you give us the website, please, for how people can find Absolutely. out more about it? 
Right. Um, we have not only our findings, which we are continuing to publish um, more all the time, because we are still analyzing a lot of data yeah. at the Center on Media and Child Health website, cmch.tv slash moreplaytoday. We also have it on Twitter at hashtag moreplaytoday. I love that you're doing this, and I hope you keep doing it. And I'm eager to see the rest of the findings you have, because, you know, as researchers, we know that when we run a robust a robust study like this, we can scratch the surface, but the results and the actions that can be taken go very, very deep. And I appreciate you doing that as a lifetime of passion and work. Oh, yes. Well, play is fun. Let's have some fun. Yeah, come on out here. Come on out here to Seattle and we'll play a little ping pong. (laughs) All right. You'll probably beat me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll send you some pictures. Dr. Michael Rich, I'm Dr. Pat, everybody. Hey, look, come on. Get out there and play. Play with your kids. Come on, people. All right, we'll be right back. (laughs) 